Okay. Okay, hi everybody and welcome to today's Scottsdale Big Book Study where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is the 26th of November 2022 and my name is Audrey and I am your um, the host for today. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Meath in Ireland um, and your co-hosts are Johan N and Nancy J. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or the co-host by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan J, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer sessions which follows will not be recorded. We will post the link to the previous week's recording in the chat function and the seventh tradition will also be added into the chat. We ask if you can please make sure that your microphone is at, on mute at all times during today's study and please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. And I will now turn it over to Harlan. Thanks, Harlan. Thank you so much, Audrey. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And I say this all the time, but I hope it is absolutely stunning wherever you are, as it is here in Arizona today. It's very light uh, breeze, but it's beautiful, sunny, just an absolute, this is, we say to each other here, this is why we live here. This is why we got out of Chicago. This is why we live here. Um, so I hope it's stunning where you are too. A uh, couple of announcements before we get started, and I hope to remember to make them at the end because some are late. On the 9th, 10th, and 11th of December, I will be doing a live big book workshop in Westchester County, White Plains, New York. And that'll be the 9th, 10th, and 11th of December. If you're in the area, we would certainly love to see you. It would be just delightful if you would come and join us and we'll have we'll have a good time and we'll 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 do some good work. And the other thing is please, 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 the OA birthday is coming up in Los Angeles, California, the birthplace of OA, we will celebrate the 63rd birthday of, of OA in Los Angeles on the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th of January. So I'm certainly hoping that if it is at all possible for you to come, that you will join us. We are isolators by nature. And this would be so fabulous if you could join us because this is a very safe crowd. It's a crowd of people who speak and understand the language of the heart. I also want to point out that registration on the birthday is available at Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous Intergroup. That's Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous Intergroup. Uh, and you can go on there and uh, there's a link and you can get your hotel and you could do whatever it is that you need to do from that link on the Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous Intergroup uh, website. Also today is a very special day for us to be studying the big book and coming together as we now are joined. Today is November the 26th and 127 years ago on this date, Bill Wilson, the primary author of the book was born. This would be Bill's 127th birthday. But of course, because of what he did, the courage that he showed, the things that he did, he will never die. The work that he did during his lifetime is such so as that the sun will never set on what he did. The sun will never set on the work of this amazing man, Bill Wilson. And the book he wrote has been translated into 83 languages. There are meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous in 160 countries on the globe. There are a total of several million active Alcoholics Anonymous members as we speak today in 2022. That is not counting the numerous people in OA, in Al-Anon, I know they don't use the book, but Al-Anon and uh, N.A., I, as I said, and many, many other Gamblers Anonymous, many, many other 12-step programs that have spawned from the work that this just amazing, amazing man did. 
and Hank Parkhurst and Bill Wilson were uh, partners in the book for sure from the very beginning. And Bill Wilson was the primary author and Hank contributed a tremendous amount, not just in writing to employers, but in getting it printed and getting it done. So it is just a absolute miracle today for us to be sitting around and studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on this, the 127th birthday of Bill Wilson. Just awesome. We have been studying chapter five, and I have said many, many times that the two most misunderstood steps are three and four, and the two most underutilized steps are two and 10. So two and 10 are the most underutilized and three and four are the most misunderstood. And so today, what I would like to do as best I can is to blow the lid off of some of the misconceptions of three and four so that we can simplify them because one of the things that we like to do in OA, in our zeal to overcomplicate, overthink, overdo, is one of the things I'd like to do is point out how simple and how basically uh, basic these steps are so that there's no misconceptions about them whatsoever. We left off last week after the third step promises at the top of page 63. And we talked about the first paragraph being the promises of the third step. And we talked prior to that about coming to a new relationship with God, with our higher power, with whatever it is you call that higher power. And we covered in chapter four that all that's required is a willingness to believe that there is a power greater than myself. That's all that is required of me. There is nothing more that is required of me. I don't have to understand God. I don't have to have a degree in theology. I don't have to have some sort of background as a clergyman or anything like that. You know, six days a week, what I like to do in the morning is I like to get out of the house after I do prayer and meditation. And I like to walk three miles. And I'm lucky enough to be able to do that six days a week. And one day a week, I don't do it. And I don't understand exercise philosophy. I don't have a degree in exercise philosophy. If you asked me a question and said, how does walking help you? I couldn't tell you. I don't understand it. What I do know is that by taking the action of walking, I feel better, I lose weight better, I walk better, I stand better, I can get out of a chair better, and I think that it really helps me, so I will continue to do it. So many times, though, when we look at this paragraph at the bottom of 62, and I'm just reviewing so we get a little head start, as is my want, we see the words, God was going to be our director. That means he's going to direct my life, and I want that. He is going to be the director. He is the principal, and we are his agents. And last week, we talked about fiduciary duty. Remember, that's a fun word to say. Now, I'm just going to take a break here for one second and say that Johan's daughter is right now the youngest member of Overeaters Anonymous. This is Ilsa, and she is the youngest member on record of Overeaters Anonymous, and she is by far the cutest. So I just wanted to point her out to everybody. But anyway, um, <clears throat> she looks just like her daddy, doesn't she? She looks just exactly like him. She's a chip off the old block for sure. But anyway, we have this relationship with God or higher power or whatever. 
and he is the principal and we are his agents. And that means that legally I have a fiduciary duty to God. What does that mean? Fiduciary duty. It means that I am obligated to put his needs and wants and desires before my own. That is what that means. That's what the word fiduciary means. And that is what it means when it says he is the principal and we are his agents. So if you've remembered when you, if you so ever sold a house, the realtor has a fiduciary duty to put the needs and wants of you, the homeowner, above their own. As long as what you're telling your realtor is legal, they have the obligation to put your needs, wants, and instructions first before their own. So the bottom line is we have a fiduciary duty. Somebody's unmuted. Rini is unmuted. Renee or Rini? So the bottom line is we have this situation on our hands where we're going to put God first. Very, very important for me to remember that. Now let's go to page 63. And what I would like to do is I would like to point out how simple step three is. And we're going to start out on page 63. It says we were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him. Now, this is the statement as we understood him that was really in there because of Hank Parkhurst, who did not want a God-based book. Hank wanted a book that did not mention God. And the chapter that he wrote to employers is the only chapter in the book where the word God is not mentioned. There's no mention of God in the chapter to employers. That's who Hank was. Also, you have Jimmy Burwell, who was a very early member of AA, and he was an atheist, and he did not want mention of God. So this God, as we understood him, remember that these were guys coming out of the Oxford group movement, and the Oxford group movement was Christian in its design, in its, in its organization. It was a Christian movement, and these guys were not God as we understood him, fellas. They were Christian men, and they studied Christian philosophy, Christian doctrine while in the Oxford group. But now that they're writing their book, they want God as we understood him to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Now we're going to look at this prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. What does that mean? And you're free to use your own words. And it says here, what it says here basically is I'm offering you my life and my will. My life is my action. My will is my thinking. So please take away my character defects. When he says, relieve me of the bondage of self, take away my difficulties. These are all ways of saying to God, take away the defects of character. What are the defects of character? Some of you have lists of defects of character that's 20 miles long. Here are the defects of character. No more no less. Fear, anger, dishonesty, selfishness, self-seeking. That's it. These other behaviors, I'm going to go over that again. These other behaviors, being late for work, yelling at your wife, yelling at your husband, these are not defects of character. They come from anger, fear, dishonesty, selfishness, and self-seeking. What is the difference between selfish and self-seeking? Selfish is the script you have in your head where everything is about you and everybody has to act in accordance with your will and your script and your way of doing things. And self-seeking is the action that you take to get people to stick to your script. So you seek self 
How do you seek self? You take action to get people to stick to your script. And this is the way that you seek self. Selfish, self-seeking, dishonesty, anger, fear. Those are the defects of character. And when those are removed, albeit temporarily, when those are removed, then all of a sudden life takes a very, very different sort of tack, doesn't it? Now, it says here, we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. Are you really ready to do this? Now, when you do this, let's understand what we're doing. Are there any written assignments in step three? No. Do you have to write an essay of why you think it's a good idea to turn your life and will over to God as you understand him? No. Are we actually turning anything over to God in step three? No. The process of turning one's will and life over to God are in steps four through 12. So in step three, what are we actually doing? We are making an agreement with God to do the rest of the steps because the process of turning my will and life over to the care of God are in steps four through 12. We are not turning over anything to anyone in step three. All it says is we are making a decision to do so. And how does one do that? By doing steps four through 12. So there are no written assignments in step three. You don't have to go out and read another book. You don't have to go out and wait weeks and months and years before you start any step four activity. That's that's nonsense. That's narishkeit. That's nonsense. All that you're doing in step three, once again, is you are making a decision to work the rest of the steps. We have already stated in this book that we have an illness that only a spiritual awakening or spiritual experience will conquer. We are told that over and over and over again. Now I can see some of you looking at me like I'm crazy. And I know that I've been getting those looks for 68 years. I get it, I'm used to it. But what I also know is that the big book does not say, here's where we do a written assignment. I'm not saying that doing a writing assignment is bad or wrong or evil, but I don't see the purpose to it. I have no idea why people go on these rants and raves of written assignments and they're going to contemplate and they're going to define God. And there's nothing in here that says you have to have a degree in philosophy or theology or anything like that. I am not going to pass a test on exercise physiology tomorrow but I'm gonna get my butt up and I'm gonna do my 11th step in the morning. I'm gonna come down here because today is Charles Schultz's 100th birthday as well. He wrote Peanuts. And when I went through all the comics this morning that I read every day, they all had homages to Sparky. Sparky was Charles Schultz's nickname, it was Sparky. And Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Lucy were in Blondie and they were in Family Circus and they were in High and Lois and Beetle Bailey and all the other comics that I read every single day. And so I took a minute, I looked up Charles Schultz on Wikipedia and I, you know, I really enjoyed Peanuts. I, I read classic Peanuts every morning. But there's nothing in here that talks about a written assignment. There's nothing in here that says you have to jump through hoops. And there's nothing in here that would suggest that in your life, by doing step three, that you're turning anything over to anyone. What this is, once again, is based on the conclusion of the book that we were alcoholics and could not manage our own lives, that no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, that God could and would if he were sought based on those conclusions listed on page 60, 
we now have to embark on activity that will bring this higher power into our lives in a way that will make my life such that I will achieve a neutrality toward food. Because remember that we have been eating as a way of satisfying the brain. The brain is extremely uncomfortable in the addicted soul, in the addicted mind. We are extremely uncomfortable in our surroundings. We are scared by nature. We are angry by nature because the fear builds up that we will not get our way now or in the future. We didn't get it in the past. We are uncomfortable. We are restless, irritable, and discontent throw in scared to death and angry as hell. And in our, in our zeal to comfort ourselves, our brain suggests we eat something. Seldom spring, uh, uh, steam broccoli, seldom steam cauliflower. More often than not, chips ahoy. More often than not, something like French fries. More often than not, something that is not on my food plan. More often than not, it is going to be for me, sugar, flour, fried, cookies, something like that, egg rolls, pizza, those are going to, dairy, those are going to be the things my brain knows will assuage it into a more comfortable state. The only problem is that, that state of comfort only lasts about nine seconds. But the price that I pay for that is I trigger the physical allergy. And the allergy makes it impossible for me to stop. So in my zeal to overcomplicate things, in OA's zeal to overcomplicate things, we take step three and we make it into something that it's not. We could just as easily say this prayer, God. Rid me of my defects of character so I can be of maximum service to you and the people about me. And based on that, I will abandon myself utterly to you. And in doing so, how do I do that? How do I abandon myself to God? I do the rest of the steps. Are you starting to see a pattern here? What you're agreeing to is to do the rest of the steps. And when we lose focus of that, we have made step three into something that it was never intended to be. It doesn't say we have to spend six months in step three. It doesn't say we have to wait 10 years before we do the fourth step. We're going to take that in the next paragraph. But let's take a look at what we see here. And that is, I'm on, still on page 63. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor. If you don't have that person in your life, take it by yourself. But it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. Very simple wording. There's nothing there to overthink. There's nothing there that merits overthinking. There really isn't. The wording was, of course, quite optional, which means you're free to make up your own prayer. You don't like the wording here because the wording here is very Protestant. The wording here is very Protestant. John F. Kennedy did not say, don't ask what the country is going to do for you. See what you can do for the country. He was the first Roman Catholic elected to president, and he wanted to put it into Protestant terms to sort of equal things out a little bit here. So he said, ask not what you can do for your, what this country is gonna do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. This is very Protestant language here. This is right out of their indoctrination in the Oxford group movement. This prayer is all Oxford group. You're free to say, God, it's me. I wanna serve you better. Please take away my difficulties. That's as good a prayer as there is. That's as good a prayer as there is. And you don't have to say these words if they're uncomfortable for you. 
You can make up your own words. You're invited to do so at different times in this book, in different sections of this book. You know, maybe, maybe other words will mean more to you. Maybe there's something else, you know, in your brain that makes more sense. You're free to do that. But it is better to meet God alone than with one who might understand. The wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we express the idea, voicing it without reservation. That means I can't say to God, hey, God, I want to do the rest of the steps, but I want to handle my own business. I want to handle my own whatever. No, no. I'm either going to give my life over to this program or I'm not. I'm, I either am going to give my life without reservation or I'm not. It doesn't work when I hang on to stuff. God only knows I can't run my life. When I run my life, it's a shambles. I was talking yesterday. I had a friend pass away uh, Tuesday of this past week. I had a friend pass away Tuesday. And boy, he was a gambler. Oh, boy, was he a gambler. He could go out for 20, 30, 40,000 in a weekend. No problem. I mean, that was nothing. That was a tune-up for him. And another friend of mine were talking about it. And he says, yeah, he who gambles lives in shambles. And we were talking about that. And I said, yeah, he who runs his own life lives in shambles. At least that's the way it was for me. At least that's the way it was for me. Some of us have other areas where we have pockets of agnosticism. What's a pocket of agnosticism? We're not sure whether God will take over that part of our life and make it good, make it right. We are not certain that if we give our love life over to God or lack thereof, or we give our life financially over to God, will he do a good job? Maybe he'll want me to be a missionary in China, and I don't want to go be a missionary in China. Well, I'd rather be a missionary in China than crap in my pants every day and be 600, 700 pounds. I'd rather be a missionary in China than live the way I was living. So I'm going to give my life up with no reservation based on the conclusions that I've come to in my life based on the first 63 pages of this book. Let's continue. This was only a beginning. Now, that's very important for us to talk about because there are so many people who get on here and say, I did the one, two, three waltz, one, two, three waltz, one, two, three waltz. That's not possible. If you've done step three, how do I know you've done step three? You're walking around with a clipboard and a notebook and you're doing step four. If you're not doing step four, you haven't done step three. Step three is an agreement to do the rest of the steps. That's what it is. So don't get on here and make a fool of yourself and say, well, I went to a meeting and we just did the one, two, three waltz and we did the first three steps and nothing after that. Step three is an agreement to do four through 12 every day for the rest of your life. We have somebody on here that says they're going to get a chair. How do I know when they're going to get a chair? When they go to New York or not New York, they go, yeah, they're in New York. When they go and they buy a chair, that's when I'll know they're getting a chair. So, I don't want to hear about how you're going to do step three unless you're going to do four through 12, because that's what step three is. This was only a beginning. There are two references to step three, a decision and a beginning. Now, they say in the first year you're here, don't make any major decisions. 
Well, have you looked at step three? It's a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him. That's a pretty major decision. And it better the hell not take you a year to get there. It better not take you a year to get to step three. It better take a couple of days or you're going to be in trouble. Okay? This was only a beginning, though, if honestly and humbly made. Humbly just means with, without my ego involved, not humiliate you, but humbly made an effect. Sometimes a very great one was felt at once. What is that effect? The effect is hope that by doing the rest of the steps, maybe I can recover like I see some of you recover. Bill Wilson was with Ebby Thatcher. And it said in the big book, I saw, I felt, I believed. What did he see? He saw recovery in Ebby. He had never seen it before. Now, I understand that he was in the town's hospital two times prior. And he saw alcoholics and heavy drinkers not drinking. That's not recovery. Just because someone is not drinking doesn't mean they're in recovery. They were dry drunks. They didn't have a program. A dry drunk is an alcoholic who's not drinking. But that sobriety does not treat the disease. If sobriety treated the disease, diets would work. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He decided he wasn't going to touch another drop till he had been successful in business. After a long and successful career, he didn't touch another drop for 25 years. Out came his carpet slippers in a bottle, and he was dead within four years. Alcoholism does not get treated by sobriety. I'm going to say that two more times. Hopefully you'll remember. And how do you remember? By teaching it to others. Sobriety does not treat alcoholism. Sobriety does not treat alcoholism. Only a spiritual experience or spiritual awakening treats this condition. And so in order to affect a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience, I am going to have to do the rest of the steps and do them as quickly as I can, because on page 89 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, and I'm quoting, nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. It is the first paragraph of the chapter, Working with Others. And I need to get to that paragraph as streamlined quickly as I can. That's why we work the steps quickly, because nothing will guarantee immunity like intensive work with other alcoholics. Isn't that what you've been looking for? Isn't that what you are looking for is a guarantee of immunity? Isn't that what you came here to get? Or maybe you didn't come here to get it, but maybe at some point that became your goal. I hope it is because nothing will ensure immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. An effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. I saw, he saw recovery. I felt, what did Bill feel? He felt hope that maybe, just maybe, if he did what Ebby was doing, he could get what Ebby had. And that was immunity at the time from drinking. Ebby later went back and got drunk many times. But at that moment, he was in recovery enough to change the world. And what did, what did Bill believe? I saw, I felt, I believed. What did he believe? That God could and would if he were sought. That there was hope for him that maybe this God of the preachers or maybe this God of something else could work in his life too. Bill had been drinking for 17 years, from 1917, 1917 to 1934. He was drunk most of 17 years. 
and he was losing Lois. He was losing whatever self-esteem he had. He was losing his money. He was losing his position, losing his respect, and he wanted to die rather than live. He who had thought so well of himself, fancied himself a leader, was now contemplating suicide. Oh, how far he had fallen. And he knew that if Ebby could recover, that he could too. Let's continue. Now we're going to talk about step four. It doesn't say in six months. It doesn't say in six weeks. It doesn't say in six days. It says next, next. As in immediately, have you ever been to a bakery or a delicatessen and there you've got number 12 and they are serving number 11 and number 11 says, no, I don't need anything else. And they ring number 11 up. And what do they say next? Do you want to wait six months to get your order? Do you want to wait six weeks to get your order? You don't want to wait six seconds to get your order. Make this the same thing. Make this into the same kind of thing where you're impatient to get your order and your order should be for a better life. Next, we launched on a course of vigorous action. Step four. All step four is, is a basic inventory of who you are at this time. If you've ever been to a shopping center, and I know one day, you'll say shopping center and nobody will know what the hell you're talking about because they are quickly becoming a thing of the past. Everything today. Oh, there's Carl. There's He is now the youngest member of OA because he is younger than Ilsa. So he is now the youngest member of our group and he is adorable. But anyway, um, next we launched on a course of vigorous action. But when you go to a shopping center, and you look at a map, let's say you're trying to find Fred's Fred's fish store, whatever the heck it is you're trying to find or whatever, the gap or whatever. It says you are here. Because if you don't know where you are, you, how are you going to know where you're going to go? You are here. So the inventory that we're going to take is just you are here. And when we see where we are, now we know how to get to where we're going. That's all it is. Don't overthink it. You don't need any forms. You want to use the forms? Use the forms. They didn't know from forms. They didn't have forms that you download off the internet. There's a whole cottage industry of booklets and pamphlets and books. You don't need that. We're going to clear that up in the coming weeks. We're going to make it very, very simple. And there's no reason on God's earth to be scared by the fourth step. We are not making a list of the things we've done that we're ashamed of. We're not listing who we had sex with or whatever, whatever embarrassing. We're not doing that. What we're doing is, well, you'll see. You'll see what we're doing. Hang on. Uh, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal house cleaning. Why did he say first step? Because the first three steps are not working steps. There's nothing to do. They are conclusions of the mind. Step one, I am based on my knowledge of myself. I either am or are not a compulsive overeater. That's all it is. Step two, I've come to believe that there's a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. You either are willing to believe that or you're not. Made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. You're either going to make that decision or you're not. There's no action there. There's no action there. You like doing written assignments? Great. Work through the steps quickly. Go back and do all the written assignments that you want to do. Go ahead. You're not hurting anybody, but get through the work as quickly as you can. All right, let's go. Top of 64, which many of us have never attempted. Though our decision, step three, was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once. So you got two time frames there. Next, 
and at once. Do you see anything in there that says you have to wait six months or six weeks or six days to, um, to do this? No. It says at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So we're not going to take an inventory of our character assets. The fact that you might be funny or good looking, or you entertain well, you're a wonderful cook, or you're a wonderful dancer, or you're a wonderful singer, or whatever it is you are that is an asset to you, that is not what has been blocking you. And yet there are people that spend weeks and weeks doing inventories of their character assets. Does it say to do that in the book? No. No, it doesn't. Because the fact that you're a wonderful dancer or a wonderful nurse or teacher or secretary or accountant or whatever it is you are, dog trainer, that's not why you've been eating. That's not why you have these problems. So there's no reason on earth why you have to do an inventory of your character assets. None. By a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. What are those things in ourselves which had been blocking us? Fear, anger, dishonesty, selfishness, self-seeking. Fear, anger, dishonesty, selfishness, self-seeking. Those are the things that have been blocking us. So these are the things that we are going to deal with in this crucial step. Our liquor was but a symptom because liquor, food, whatever, gave us temporary relief from the pain of life. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. And what we're going to embark on is an inventory. And what we're going to do in the inventory is we are going to uncover, discover, and discard. We're going to uncover the defects of character and how they have been manifesting through our actions toward others. We're going to discover the serious nature of those defects of character and we're going to discard them as best we can. Does that mean I never get scared? No. Does that mean I never get angry? No. Does that mean I never get selfish or self-seeking? No. What it means is I am those things, and when I manifest those things, I have a proven workable method of giving them back to God. That's what it means. No matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I am flawed. I'm imperfect. I am human. And as such, I need this work. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. You need to take stock of your life. You need to see who you are and what you are if you want to look at things objectively as a way of saying, you are here. I love that analogy, so I use it. You are here. But we can, we can give those things to God and we can have a good life. But if we don't know what we're giving to God, it becomes very, very difficult. Uh, taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. I have to, it says here, it's an effort to discover the truth about the stock in trade. One object is to disclose damage or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. 
If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. So we have been lying and angry and scared and selfish and self-seeking. And to one degree or another, it has worked because it got us to today. And that's a lot to ask somebody to give that up. And I'm giving it up for an empty set. I don't know what's out there. I don't know what I'm going to do if I have to be honest. What am, how am I going to live my life without manipulation? How am I going to live my life without knowing in the back of my mind, I can always cheat, lie, steal? How am I going to live my life that way? That's very frightening to me. I don't want to live my life without my, without my uh, defects of character. That's very scary to me. But I either trust God or I don't by this point in the book. I either trust God or I don't. I don't know how to live my life based on honesty. I don't know how to speak my mind. I don't know how to function in the world when I'm going to be the person that I am. Not the person I think you want me to be, because that's an old practice for me. I'm very practiced at being who you want me to be. I figure out whether you want me to be a Democrat or a Republican, and I be that. So you'll like me, so you won't run away from me, particularly if you're female, even if you're male. I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want to be left. I can speak to all of you, but I can't speak to one of you as easily, especially if you're female and I consider you attractive. It becomes very difficult for me. I'm not practiced at that. It's hard. How am I going to live my life in honesty? How am I going to do what I need to do? I either trust God or I don't. But I can't fool myself that this lying, this cheating, this stealing, this, this way of, 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 of navigating life is killing me because it's driving me constantly into the food in search of relief from the pain of living that way. I have so much pain in fear and anger and guilt and shame and remorse. I have so much anger in this that I have to seek food as a way of relieving that pain, even if it's for 10 seconds, nine seconds. I cannot take the pain of this way of living my life. I can't do it any longer. And so food and death become preferable they become preferable. So now I'm going to take a stock in trade and I'm going to list the resentments, fears, and sexual harms done others so that I can get a handle on who I am. You are here. I can get a handle on who I am so I know which way to go to get to where I want to go and what, who I want to be. That's all we're doing here, guys. There's nothing complicated here. There's nothing hard. Let's continue. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Did you being a good nurse or a good teacher cause your failure? No. Did you being a good dancer cause your failure? No. Did you being a good whatever secretary, lawyer, doctor, whatever it is, did that cause your failure? No, then let's not consider it. Let's not pile more work on yourself that you don't need to do. There's nothing in here that says we take an inventory of our character assets. Nothing in here at all. It's just busy work for nothing. It did not cause your failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. Stop right there. We considered its common manifestation. When he talks of self, he's talking about your character defects. Those are the manifestations of self. Those are the manifestations of self. 
The manifestations of self are the defects of character, anger, fear, dishonesty, selfish, self-seeking, and all other aberrant behaviors stem from those defects of character. Now, resentment. What is a resentment? The word re or the, pref the, the preface re always means to do again, rewrite, repaint, re-feel. Re means to do again. And sentiment comes from an old, old word, sentiri, which means to feel. So resentment means we re-feel old hurts. Now, I have a recording in my home of the Chicago Bears winning the Super Bowl in January of 1986. If there was a test on that recording, what commercial was played, what play was, I would get an A. You couldn't beat me. You could only tie me. You couldn't beat me. But the recording that I have has a property that I lack, and it's called fidelity. What is fidelity? It is truth and consistency. Because when I feel resentments or anything in my head, I change them just a little bit, change them every time so that my role in things becomes a little more innocent and your role in things becomes a little more nefarious, a little more dastardly, a little more evil. And so if you give me an opportunity to replay this resentment over and over and over in my mind enough times, I was standing there doing nothing and you came along and did me dirt. And I will swear to it in a court of law. Swear to it in a court of law. So we're going to look at the reality of these resentments. Now, I need to cut us off a little bit early today because I got to go to the little boy's room. When I come back, I'm going to talk to you for just a, another minute, and then we're going to go to Q&A, and next week we're going to pick up this resentment. So I'm going to turn it back to Audrey, and I'll be back in just a few minutes. Yeah. Thanks, Harlan. I will stop the recording now. Yeah.